and Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eber, Chief of the Journal. Today, with the pleasure of chatting with Joanne Cairns, who is a research fellow at the Scottish Centre for Simulation and Clinical Human Factors, and also an acute medicine registrar in the west of Scotland. I asked Joanne to chat with me today because she has a paper coming out with colleagues in the July 2023 issue of Medical Education entitled Just Pretending Narratives of Professional Identity Transitions to Internal Medicine. And I'll begin with congratulations, John, because I understand that this is likely to become part of a PhD study you've, you've recently enrolled in Dundee. So I'm sure you're full of anticipation with how that's going to play out over the next little while. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I'm really excited about the prospect and really pleased to include this paper because, yeah, I really enjoyed it. How does an acute medical registrar decide to take the plunge and enroll in a PhD? <laughs> yeah, it's forging a path that's less well-traveled, I think. But yeah, it's with a lot of support from mentors and supervisors, I would say. And yeah, actually a lot of people cheer me on from the sidelines, which has been nice. So it's a nice balance at the moment between clinical and education research. So I'm just trying to continue that for as long as feasibly possible. <laughs> well, and I should maybe ask you to clarify as well that term medical registrar isn't used everywhere in the world. And so given that this paper actually focuses on that role, can you explain what a medical registrar is in your context? Yeah, sure. So in the UK, after completing medical school, doctors usually have a period of foundation training where they rotate through various specialties and then they usually try and settle on one so they would then go into internal medicine training and that's the path that would lead you to becoming various different hospital medical specialties and once you'd completed internal medicine training you'd become a specialty trainee which is usually termed a medical registrar in the sort of general sense although you might have a sort of specialty attached like respiratory or gastroenterology and then this would then, after a period of four or five years, lead on to becoming a hospital consultant. So it's a really reasonably lengthy period of time where you'd be a medical registrar. And it's kind of known in the UK as being quite a challenging role, particularly of ours, you're sort of in charge of and leading the hospital medical team. And there can be quite a lot of apprehension about taking on the role, I suppose. And you're, you're living that phase yourself. What was it that stimulated you to want to do research in the area? I think it is something that I personally found challenging. And then I think through my educational and research roles, I've spent a lot of time with internal medicine trainees and through chatting and research as well. I just became sort of aware of their sort of fear and apprehension about the role at times. And I was felt like I was very aware that they were all experiencing this, but maybe they were doing so kind of quietly, that sort of imposter phenomenon kind of thing. So I just was really interested in trying to learn more about it and think about how we can support it a bit more. And I've been interested reading about transitions in a sort of wider sense at different stages in careers. And this one in particular is quite a big leap in my context. So yeah, it kind of made sense to try and find out a bit more. 
And just thinking about that wider literature on transitions also had me reflecting on, in this study, you're talking specifically about identity transitions and wondered if you could explain what that means. So I guess it's quite common in our medical training to transition from different roles. And we often think about the big transitions of becoming a doctor from being a medical student and transitioning into a doctor. And maybe at the end of training, when you're becoming a consultant or equivalent in your context. But I think when you're it depends really, but your professional identity as a doctor then becomes more sort of specialised as you go. And I guess we all carry our own personal identities and social identities as well. But I think this and this study in particular focused more on the professional identity of the medical registrar, just because in our context anyway, it's quite a well-known identity that's kind of it's put on a pedestal a bit and I remember being more junior sort of looking up and thinking how will I become that one day and then I think you sort of have the behind the curtain moment when it's you and realize you know you're never as ready as you think you're going to be and I see a lot of parallels with transitions across my life not just in working life but I guess and I think we can learn from that but I think our professional identity transitions we sort of sometimes don't spend much time thinking about them but I think they are important and I think they can cause us quite a bit of anxiety and unrest if we don't address them. And there's another term that I'm going to ask you to define for us because it's so central to this transition period you're describing and the uncertainty and self-doubt that you just alluded to and, and that's liminality. You, you talked throughout the paper about this period of liminality for those who aren't aware of that term. What are you indicating? Yeah, I drew a lot of, and uh, was inspired a lot by Lizzie Gordon and colleagues' work. They've got a paper, I think it's betwixt and between, I love that phrase, huh. about the concept of liminality. And it's really about being and feeling in between two identities in this context. So, and this sort of liminal phase, which I think through the research I've done is you know, we maybe think about a stepwise progression or things being quite linear, but actually this liminal phase in between can be quite challenging and turbulent and you can have sort of two steps forward, one step back. And basically, I think it can span a lot longer than we account for in our current sort of systems and processes for supporting trainees. So, yeah, this liminality is really the in-between phase before you sort of fully transition into a new identity. How did you prompt people to talk about that experience and what they're going through in ways that yielded the data that you analyzed in this report? I think we chose our sample well because we interviewed trainees in their second year of internal medicine training because we know that trainees at this stage are asked to act in the role of medical registrar frequently. And so all of the trainees we asked had had the opportunity to act in the role, but traditionally they wouldn't be termed registrars until their third year of training and beyond. So it was unlikely that they felt fully fledged registrars. And I think I did try initially and thought about conceptualising things as sort of before being the registrar in the liminal phase and then post sort of the transition. But actually I just found that the liminal phase was really a lot more all-encompassing and I think that just shows the sort of complexity of it and how long that sort of period can take. And 
As I understood it, you heard from some trainees that it almost sounded like a deliberate decision to reject or to claim the registrar role. And was that different people adopted different stances or people floated back and forth? What led you to that claim? So I think that kind of came into when we were looking at sense of agency through the narrative analysis, which I think this particular method allowed us to have more of a think about. And I kind of see thinking about agency in this context in terms of them being able to exert agency as to whether or not they take on the role, but also in terms of whether they accept or reject this sort of identity claims that are kind of granted to them. So quite often they would have kind of disclaimers or caveats when they were referring to the role. So that's where the sort of title just pretending came from and that is the way the trainee would describe it. And I think that was a way in which they were showing that they, you know, they were situating themselves in that liminal phase, which I think is, from my research, it's really quite normal and should be normalised, but it's quite interesting, I think. And the fact that sometimes it would change from the same trainee when they were reflecting on their journey. So when you directly ask them if they felt like the medical registrar, their response is sometimes different. And I think that's where we got the term sort of identity dissonance, which really kind of summarised what we felt we were seeing in the data. And that agentive lens that you're just alluding to, what did a sense of agency seem to buy for people or enable for individuals as they're going through some of the struggles you described? From our data, we found that when trainees had a strong sense of agency, so one example I can think of was a trainee who was supported by another senior trainee when dealing with a really complex situation. And so when she felt out of her depth, she was able to take a step back and let the other person lead initially. And then she sort of took over and she was able to reflect on that situation and in a quite a positive way. And it felt more like it was on her terms. Whereas in, in other trainees, when I think one of the main narratives that's in the study was framed by the term terrifying when you know, she was handed things that were just she definitely lacked agency in the whole process and I think it's about expectations as well and these being unclear and really being uncertain about what's the expectations on you so I think that was the main ones that spring to mind. Were you able to tell from your data what enabled the sense of agency in the first place? Yeah I think from my reading of it it was mostly in that sense it was having that opportunity to have support so she could take a step back and not be in the role when she could make that decision. But I think we need to do more research about, and I'm doing some follow-up work about that, about what gives trainees a sense of agency and what kind of constrains it, because I think that's key in thinking about how we can empower trainees, because I think this study showed that it can be really important for them. And that's starting to feed into implications of what you're seeing. And you've mentioned the phrase work or the term work a couple of times now and thinking about identity work and what you're current thinking in terms of how to best support people recognizing that with any transition, there will be newness and discomfort and everything else that goes along with that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I really enjoyed this study because this is the most sort of immersed in data I've, I've felt because with the narrative analysis in this particular type, it involved, you had to listen to the oral narration and listen for the pauses and break it down. And that was really on their terms. And so 
again coming back to agency it just felt like that was really from the narrator's or the trainee's perspective and I felt that and even in doing the study there was some you know we talked about identity construction through narrative and it's almost like giving them the space to actually discuss these things was really helpful and it's not really something we have that much space for in currently we do things we have supervisors but most things again are focused around competence and clinical development and I was actually interested listening to Laura Farrell's work on coaching and things and I think maybe other specialties do coaching a bit better and I think sort of these kind of more longitudinal approaches could be really useful and that's something I've definitely been thinking about because yeah I think at the moment it's just not something we've left a lot of space for but I think it could be really beneficial. You're early in your exploration of these issues given that you said you're setting out upon a PhD so this might be premature to ask but have you any thoughts already about how one might go about creating such a space to enable the discussions that you're suggesting are important? I mean I think through research and recognising the significant liminal phase that these trainees are going through and the current challenges they're facing. I think, I mean, one thing I think we could do is almost make it a bit more formal, their period of acting up in the role. And that way that makes more clear expectations and also makes it clear for those around them sort of taking some of that identity distance away, perhaps. And I think people who are in my position who've gone through transition before would be very willing to offer their input as educators and coaches for people more junior so I think trying to work out how to yeah put some of these structures in place and guess learning from other people who've got these sort of programs already would be the first thing. Right we'll wait with bated breath to see what the second third and fourth things are as you, <laughs> as you continue your studies. I want to wish you the very best of luck in undertaking that PhD and especially as you're in practice uh, raising young children, but busy few years, but I'm sure this paper is an indication that you're more than up for the task. Thank you so much. For those who are listening and want to find the paper, again, it's called Just Pretending, Narratives of Professional Identity Transitions in Internal Medicine. It'll be in the July 2023 issue of Medical Education under the name of Joanne Cairns. Thanks again, Joanne. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for having me.